and welcome to Back Talk. This show is a conversation between two feminist people about this week in pop culture. I'm Sarah Merck. I'm the online editor of Bitch Media. Um, and that means this week I have been putting together some elaborate Instagram photo shoots about self-care. Um, this morning I like made this giant pile of delicious chocolate to take a really good photo of it because... Quick shout out, next week, our propaganda episode is all about self-care, and we're looking for uh, listeners' tips for good self-care strategies. So if you are listening to this right now, and you have a self-care idea to share on the show, um, make a little voice memo of it. Tell us your name, where you live, and your and one way that you practice self-care, and send that voice memo to me at webeditor at bword.org. That's webeditor at bword.org. We can't have bitch in our email address <laughs> because it gets flagged. Yeah. So yeah, so make a little voice memo about a way that you practice self-care. Send it to webeditor at bword.org and we'll feature it on Propaganda next week. Amy Lamb. Yes. Oh, I just want to note that it's b-word. I don't think it matters. Oh, really? We have, oh. We have b-word and b-word. Oh, news to me. Okay. Well, yeah. I am Amy Lamb, the associate editor, and I didn't know that our email addresses could do such things. Um, <laughs> Actually, I'm having like crazy uh, writer's block lately. And so I, I, you know, like at the top of the show, we talk about our position and what we're doing. And I'm just, I was thinking like, what am I doing? Uh, Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a lot of writer's block. And then I did want to, um, I woke up this morning and I had um, the Adele song stuck in my head. Hello. Yeah, no, but I was thinking like. Hello from the back talk. And I was like, I, that's all I wanted to do today. That was all I wanted to do. Okay, well, I'm glad that's done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we start off the show by talking about our favorite thing in pop culture this week. Is your favorite thing in pop culture this week Adele's song or do no, you have something else? I have something really good. Uh, I went and saw um, comedian Hari Kondabolu. I love Hari. Yeah. yeah. Um, he did a couple sets in Portland uh, t- for his new record. And it was really great, and um, I got to sit right in front, so hopefully I'll get my um, microphone popping laugh <laughs> <laughs> on the record. Um, but uh, one of the jokes that he said, I mean, I can't set it up, but, like, the punchline was about, had the, it were, included the words, like, white power in it. And I've never laughed so much at a joke where the punchline was white power in my entire life. So it was <laughs> a really good show. I love Hari's work. We've had him on the podcast before. Um, and he's funny every single time I see him. He's great. Yeah. And, and I think this record's going to be so good. What's the name of his new record? I don't know. I mean, he's recording it. So it'll probably come out later this year. I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. I'll keep an eye out. Um, let's see. My favorite piece of pop culture this week is that the new X-Files episodes debuted. Yes. If you ever listen to the show, you know, I'm a big (laughs) X-Files fan. Um, Sarah has sat in on an X-Files panel before. <laughs> I I was called to be an expert on an X-Files and feminism panel at Geek Girl Con this year. And let me tell you, that was a pinnacle of achievement in my lifetime. Um, let me just say that the new show... <laughs> We've talked about this. <laughs> ...is not good. <laughs> the, <laughs> the episodes are super cheesy. Yes. And if you have ever... If you've rewatched the old X-Files episodes at any time in recent memory, um, you will realize that the old shows are also very cheesy and it's just like super hokey and, and convoluted. And um, the first episode that debuted uh, last... Uh, I guess it was two weeks ago now... Um, I was just watching it. I was like, oh, man, this is so not good. But what made it my favorite piece of pop culture is that uh, I was online. I was on Twitter um, during the episode and 
all of my friends were talking about the X-Files and we could joke about um, Mulder mansplaining or like, who's this guy named Tad? Or like, <laughs> what is this conspiracy theory? And is she pregnant with an alien? What is happening? And so um, I've been really loving being on Twitter during the X-Files shows and just talking to other fans about like, what the heck is going on? And Scully is right every time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and actually, I mean, I agree that the first few episodes were kind of what the heck's going on. But the most recent one, because, you know, X-Files um, kind of has that thing where it's like the serious investigative mm-hmm. one. And they have like the funny, fun episodes. And the most recent one was a funny, fun one. And it was actually really good. It was like peak fun X-Files. And it had some amazing cameos, too. Yeah, I think the the vast conspiracy ones haven't been working for me. Let's stick <laughs> to the really fun Monster of the Week episodes. All right, the first thing we're talking about this week is the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. <laughs> and we're talking... Okay, so here's the deal. Is I don't know anything about the Super Bowl. I don't especially care about football, um, but I am, but you know, it's a huge part of our economy. It's a huge part of our pop culture. And so I am interested in like the racial politics and the economic politics of the Super Bowl. And Amy, you watch a lot of football, you're watching the Super Bowl. So I'm hoping you can school me on what I should know as a feminist pop culture consumer about the Super Bowl. Well, I don't actually watch that much football. I, I, I watched from the playoffs on because there is, so this is the thing about football, the NFL in particular, right? It's that like, I think that for folks, when you realize what the NFL is, you just, you can't help but have a complicated relationship with it because of its violence. Um, and like, we're consuming the violence of like these players. And it's, that's, that's something that's really heavy. And then to know that like the league, um, like doesn't really care about domestic violence and uh, the relationships of its players and their partners. So there's so many like, you know, not great components of it. And then there's also like the pink washing that happens for profit, you know, in the league. You so, mean during breast cancer awareness month, right, how yeah. the players wear like pink helmets or pink shirts and money goes to the Susan G. Komen Foundation. Theoretically, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's their way of being like, hey, like solidarity with women or whatever. So they do a lot of smarmy, awful things as a league. But <laughs> like you said, um, football is a huge part of our culture and and we can't sort of like just discount it because of all this other awful stuff because also then it strips the agency away from the men who play it and the people who enjoy it. Um, and the thing about the league also is that like um, two thirds of its players are made up of men of color, mostly uh, black men. And so in that way, it's like, wow, like look at these amazing athletes, you know? And that's one, that's another reason why I really love watching NBA basketball with NBA. It's like, it's not a super violent, it's not a violent sport at all, unless you get into some crazy little fights, but it's a really fun game to watch. And whenever I watch that basketball game, I'm always like, look at all those millionaires playing basketball. It's like such a great feeling, you know, but with, with football, Wait, that's a great feeling I think for me. A, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, look at all those millionaires getting paid more than I'll ever make in my entire life for like one game. Right. But I'm like, I'm happy for them because like, you know, I, I, I'm just, I always just feel great for when people of color are like making money I'm like, do your thing. Right. Uh, it's a, it's a little different than the NFL because people don't get paid the same. And because of like the insane amounts of violence. Um, but it's still a big part of our culture. And, you know, when the playoffs are happening, like, admittedly, I watched it, you know, and there are definitely like big cringy moments um, when people get hit and you're just thinking like, is that person going to be okay? Like, did they just get concussed? So there's like a, a huge part and it's like really problematic for me. But then, you know, like the things that we, like, we have so many faves that are problematic. And so what do we do? We, we just have to like 
balancing it You have it to hold both both realities in right. your mind at one time and still, I mean, you can love something and still be critical of it. Right, exactly. So what do you, I guess, what are you excited about or what's interesting to you about the Super Bowl? So for this year, um, there's the two teams that are going into the Super Bowl are the Denver Bronco and Broncos and um, the South Carolina Panthers. And sounds like two great teams. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the thing about that I'm interested in is because the quarterback for the Panthers, his name is Cam Newton, and uh, he used to be the quarterback for the Auburn Tigers, which is a college team. And I also learned that like Cam Newton is like a star, and he was an amazing quarterback there. And he's black, and so to see. Um, like a black quarterback do well is amazing. Wait, the, are most quarterbacks not black? Yes, that's the thing. Because in the in in football, um, there's this notion that like, because um, the quarterback is kind of like the leader of the team, right? And so there's like kind of like racial politics about who gets who gets to lead the team. And to be a quarterback, you have to be skilled in like how you throw the football, and um, and have like this um, sort of like spatial intelligence. And oftentimes, when you know during draft time for the NFL. Um, white players get like uh, signifiers like oh he's like intelligent he's smart with the ball um, you know he's quick or whatever but then when they usually describe like black players it's like oh he's tough um, you know he's really physical it's like physical descriptions m- rather than like um, sort of ephemeral like thinking descriptions so I was reading a statistic about this is like the f- 50th Super Bowl Super Bowl 50 right um, I think Cam Newton is the sixth sixth quarterback wow. to make it. And so you were saying even though so two-thirds of players in the NFL are black, but it's actually pretty rare to have a black quarterback who's like the leader of the team. Right, yeah. Huh. Um, and the thing is that when you watch football and you see um, when a quarterback can like um, throw a really amazing pass, it's like it's it's like watching poetry in motion. It's beautiful. It's really gorgeous. And then to see that like, um, you know, how like just 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 the complete sportsmanship and athleticism of it and cam newton does that and he's like he's really fun to watch and the thing about cam is that um there have been like a lot of think pieces written about him and how he's unapologetically black that's that's how people phrase him and that like he talks about his blackness and when he gives press conferences like people will often ask him about his race and like what uh how he thinks he fits into the league as a black quarterback and he has to tell them like hey i know that like people have like um, not great uh, expectations of me as a black quarterback c- because they don't often see black quarterbacks and they don't know what to do with me. And so there's that piece. And then there's another piece where like he's kind of flamboyant when he celebrates. And so that's like kind of playing with. Oh, wait, did he do that dance? Yes, the dab. I, see, I, <laughs> I saw that dance online and didn't know where it came from. Right. What's, what's the dab? Can you explain how it goes? The dab is like a, it's like a, like a, a clo- I don't know how to describe the dance. <laughs> Our producer just did it, <laughs> but it's like a, a dance that came out of like um, the hip hop scene, and so he he popularized it for like NFL fans, and he does it whenever he's celebrating. And the thing about like there's also respectability politics going on because then a lot of like white fans are like, oh, he's too um, he's like being arrogant, he's too being showy, um, because oftentimes we think that like uh, black players should be more humble and like not be so celebratory, but it's like. This guy did an amazing thing that a lot of us can't. He gets paid a lot of money to do this and he's good at it. So like, let him celebrate. Uh, So, you know, there's like so many things that are happening. And like, really, if Cam Newton wasn't playing the Super Bowl, I probably wouldn't be watching it because I want to watch a black quarterback win. 
Yeah, this is like an exciting thing. And then like the other team in the Denver Broncos, um, Peyton Manning is the quarterback and he's like this older white guy. I think this might be his last game. And he's kind of like, you know, set the tone for like what a respectable um, quarterback should be. And um, he's just like kind of this boring dude. Like one of his biggest sponsorship deals is um, with Nationwide Commercial, Nationwide Insurance. So that tells you like his appeal, you know. It's like so. So he he really appeals to the crowd that's investing in quality life insurance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, and there have been polls that have been taken um, about like white viewers and black viewers and how they feel about Cam, and you know, and they're overwhelmingly not in favor of him. They think, they think he's too flamboyant, too showy. They don't think he's going to do well in the Super Bowl. They have low expectations for him. Um, whereas black viewers are like, yes, we want our boy to win kind of feeling. Um, and it's really cool to see. And I'm excited to watch it. Great. So go Panthers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next up, we wanted to talk about this week in electoral politics. The Iowa caucuses wrapped up this week, and it was a pretty dead heat between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, where Hillary Clinton um, eked out what everyone's calling a win by just a few percentage points. Oh, it was point something. Yeah. Yeah. A, a point by, by points. I mean, yeah. Yeah. A decimal point. <laughs> you know, it always I really don't like the horse race aspect of electoral politics. And therefore, I, I really don't like election years because I hate this whole like who won, who lost, especially after debates and especially after the Iowa caucus. You know, 50 percent of people vote for someone and 50 percent of people vote for somebody else. That to me says it's it's really divided. Uh, electorship, not this person won. And the same thing after debates, I like to think about, okay, well, what points did they raise? What was discussed? Not like, okay, who won that? Um, so election, it's for me, it's really hard to be a journalist and an editor writing about electoral politics when most of the stuff people are talking about, I'm just like, ugh. Right. <laughs> and we think, is, and often we think in such binaries, mm-hmm. like this person won, this person lost. But it's like when something is within 0.3 or 5%, percentage points it's like did anybody really win or lose and that's been a huge part of the discussion this week is it's felt very much like there's two camps are you pro hillary or are you pro bernie um and personally i like to take a lot of time to make up my mind about these things and i like to see candidates in a nuanced way and think about their policies a lot and think about what sort of leadership they provide and what sort of inspirational effect they could have on the country just like right now in our in our cultural conversation around this i feel like especially among liberal people among progressive people there's a real push of like you're either with us or you're against us on either side you know if you're not for hillary you're not a feminist if you're not for bernie sanders you're not a real progressive person um and i think it's okay to be critical of both candidates and i think it's okay to take nuanced perspectives on both candidates and not have to be like okay i'm definitely a hundred percent for this person because honestly both candidates have a lot that to be excited about and it's a lot both candidates have a lot to be very critical of yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's also this this piece where it's like um, uh, I'm having like Obama rebound or something because <laughs> like we had so much um, going in with uh, with President Obama where we felt like so many things can change. And a lot of things did change, but a lot of things didn't change and kind of got worse. You know, like there's always this statistic about Obama, how he's like the one president who's de- deported the most people yeah. in the, mm-hmm. all of the history of America. And we've got drones and we've got the NSA. Right. I mean, there's a lot that Obama it makes me really upset and feel like we've we've done wrong. Right. But I'm still really happy he was president. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's that piece. And then um, 
and there was just so much energy and like he kind of like revitalized um like the left a lot with him with his presence and his presidency so then for like for me as a person of color like going into this next election choosing between hillary and bernie just feels like a heart in a rock place i am also undecided um and it's just like like uh, there's like i keep telling folks there's like this very aesthetic thing about now having to vote in another white person just like purely aesthetics like i'm not even thinking policies or anything it's just like you know once we've had um a person of color in office a black man in office it's just kind of feels regressive in some way even if it even if it's hillary who's a white woman um because there's still like this component of like race that plays a lot in like who we see as the leader of our country first somebody like me and then you know so there's that piece of it and then there's the other piece of like you know choosing between uh, a white woman and a, a, a white man you know like a frizzy haired old white man <laughs> and like and and like the politics of like um who to sort of like go to bat for and uh what their policies say about like me as a voter so there's like so much to wrestle with especially as like a feminist because um i don't ever want to feel pressured into voting for hillary just because she's a woman um and so there's that piece that um I, I wrestle with, but then, you know, like, like I was saying, I was at the Hari Kondabolu show. Mm-hmm. So there was this point where he, he sometimes, somehow he mentioned Bernie and he mentioned Hillary. And when he mentioned Hillary, there was somebody sitting right behind me, this white guy who booed like really loudly. Right. I get it. You're a Bernie bro. Like be for Bernie. But there's, you know, even though I'm not like super for Hillary, I can't help but feel like some weight of misogyny when somebody like like loudly boos a woman. Yeah, that's another uh, element that's been written about a couple times this week in a couple of really good articles, actually, where people saying, you know, I'm not necessarily for Hillary Clinton all the way, but you have to recognize the sexism and the criticism of her and some sexism that's behind people being so outraged about her. There are a lot of reasons to not like Hillary Clinton on policy points, how she was really against gay rights before she was in favor of them. Um, She's been more conservative than Bernie Sanders on pretty much every political issue um, until this election year. Um, There are a lot of reasons to not to not be in favor of her policies. But there's also a real, I think, element of misogyny and sexism in the level of outrage that a lot of Americans have against Hillary Clinton. You know, you could see when she was secretary of state. I don't think there's been a more reviled secretary of state in the history of our country. And um, and I think you have to look at the sexism that's coloring that. That doesn't that definitely doesn't mean that everybody who's criticizing Hillary is, is motivated by sexism, but that like some of it and the level of it. I think you have to look at the the shades there. And also, it's interesting you mentioned sort of not being excited about voting for Hillary or Bernie as a person of color. We have an article about exactly that on bitchmedia.org today written by our, our political columnist, Veronica Ariola, where she looks, she asked a whole bunch of uh, people of color um, in various cities, like, who you, ex- is there a candidate you are excited for? And pretty much everybody was like, mm, there's no, I might, I'm, I'm definitely going to probably vote. But I don't know who for yet. And there's nobody who I'm really excited about voting for. And that that is correlated to lower rates of voting among people of color. That in order to make time to get out to the polling place, maybe to take off work to go vote, um, people of color are less likely to turn out for candidates if there's not a wow factor. That's the actual political science term in the, in the study I read was there has to be like, a really motivating force to be like, I'm going to turn out for this candidate. It's worth going and voting for them. And both of these candidates right now, I think 
in, in the piece that, that Veronica wrote, she, she pointed out, neither of them have really been like, I'm the wow factor candidate for voters of color to turn out for. Yeah, so it's a, it's kind of difficult. And then, and then to think that we still have, like... This is just the beginning. <laughs> yeah, we still have 10 more months about it. That's another reason why we really haven't talked about it on Backtalk. It's because, you know, this this is this, this is going to be a long, long trip. And um, there's so much to talk about. And, and it's kind of between two people that were not either of us are really that excited about and and then there's also like the component of gender being tossed in there um and another thing that i was i had heard about was um, in terms of hillary clinton is that like um she has to really work hard to present herself as a good candidate whereas bernie gets the privilege of like of like not combing his hair (laughs) and and kind of talking like um you know like like kind of a like 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 a radical right yeah or or like or like being like a larry david character and like and like literally yelling but then when um if hillary clinton kind of even like intones it like a higher pitch or something then she's like shrill she she gets like um sort of like checked for her tone a lot and those are things that like that make me you know really that those are not reasons to vote for Hillary Clinton. Right. But those are things to keep in mind when we're reading articles about Hillary Clinton, when we're thinking about criticism of Hillary Clinton, and to think about like that she has a much more narrow line to walk. I think she has a more difficult line to walk in terms of how she's rep- how she's seen and how she's represented. You know, a lot of things that Bernie does and like his really um his enthusiastic character, you know, critics would 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 call Hillary Clinton hysterical or a bitch or shrill for being in that same way. Yeah. And so maybe that's why like Bernie has been able to mobilize so many young people. Um, whereas Hillary kind of gets called out for like, if, if she does the dab, cause I think she did do the dab on Ellen and you know, people are like, why is she pretending to, you know, be hip or whatever. So she does face like a, a higher hill to climb in, in terms, in the, in those terms and then in criticisms, but it doesn't mean that just because we're the same gender that I'm going to vote for her. Like she has to earn my vote. And I think this presumption that because she's a woman and I'm a woman that I, that like, you know, we're on the same team. It doesn't work that way. Cause then there's also pieces for me as a woman of color of like white feminism. I'm like, well, who are you here for? Are you here for women, but like what kind of women? Um, and I've seen in your policy, that's it, policies in some ways that you're not here for women of color. You're not here for immigrant women. So, you know, those are things that we really need to like look at holistically and just really think hard about and that's like that's the really tough part about i think this um democratic runoff is to figure out who is going to show up and like when they get into office if they'll disappoint us or not i think regardless of who it is we'll get disappointed because that's just the way (laughs) it is welcome to life guys Okay, it's the end of the show. And at the end of the show, we talk about one thing we read, one thing we watched, and one thing we heard this week. Do you want to start off with something you read, Amy? Yes. Okay. So I read this really great piece. It's on Observer.com. It's called We're Not Going Anywhere, Growing Up Latino and Punk in America by Michelle Threadgold. I think that's how you pronounce your last name. Um, but it's a really, really great piece. It's like, a, it's like part personal essay, part reporting, and it's about... Um, her being Latina and growing up in a predominantly white punk scene and how, you know, across the country punk scenes are predominantly white. And as somebody who grew up with punk and, um, and 
was in a wh- very white male dominated space, like I really identified with it. Um, and she, it's, it's, it, there's like heartbreaking parts about it. Cause she kind of got like assaulted at a no effect show. Um, uh, when the lead singer of the band fat Mike, like told the audience to grope the women in front of them cause they couldn't move. Cause it, the, like the crowd was so tight, you know, like, like, and, and fat Mike, I'm pretty sure he's Latino. So, uh, Wait, did he actually say grope or was he like, push them no he he in the story in the piece she says like go ahead and fill up like the woman in front of you because she can't move right now well yes that's hardcore and that's the opening of the piece and so she goes into how like you know even though punk rock meant a lot to her it failed her in a lot of ways and um but in her journey like to being in the punk rock community she's found other latinos and latinx people and so she's been able to like find her space in it um and actually i did want to read a really great quote that she had in it so she interviewed um susanna sepulveda who's the founder of the right girl carnival and she's a front woman of a latino punk band called las sangronas y el cabron i said that so terribly sorry (laughs) people (laughs) but um she's currently getting her phd in women's studies and gender at the University of Arizona. And she said, quote, I see punk as fundamentally underground. That's DIY. And people of color punks might not always be fully represented in dominant narratives of punk. But we create our own avenues to document our histories and raise our voices. We don't need the mainstream to represent us. And personally, I wouldn't want it to. So that's like a really powerful quote from this piece. It's called, We're Not Going Anywhere, Growing Up Latino and Punk in America. That sounds great. We'll link it from the podcast page on bitchmedia.org. Um, I want to talk about uh, one thing I watched, which I've been watching uh, Francesca Ramsey's web series uh, Decoded, which is hosted by MTV. Um, and Francesca Ramsey, if you don't know her work, she's basically a YouTube star. She makes all these uh, really short, super accessible videos about feminism, racial justice, social justice issues. Uh, one video of her that I share of hers that I share a lot um, is about being an ally. And it's like, here's what being an ally means. Um, her new show with MTV is called Decoded and it's all online and it's these great short videos that really break down I think concepts that are misunderstood or seem really complicated Um, and she does a great job of explaining simply uh, what they are so check out MTV Decoded all right and our music pick is from a band called Dirty Revival Um, they're like a soul funk rock band and this record which is self-titled came out um, last fall the track we're going to listen to is called She Can't Wait. Cool. The Dirty Revival? Yes. All right. Thanks so much for listening to Backtalk. And don't forget to call us with your self-care tip. Send me an email with your self-care advice. Thanks. Thanks. All of the crying and fighting's too much. She wants to spend more time away. Thanks for listening to Backtalk. This podcast is hosted by Sarah Merck and Amy Lamb from Bitch Media. The show is produced by Alex Ward. Have you noticed that we don't shy away from tough conversations and that we cover just about every topic you can think of? That's because as a nonprofit independent media outlet, Bitch Media is entirely supported by thousands of folks like you. 
not some big corporation or a deep-pocketed donor with a hidden agenda. If you love tuning in each week, please pitch in at bitchmedia.org slash podcast. And be sure to mention propaganda or backtalk when you donate. We'll read some of our listener love on the air during the next shows. Thanks so much. She can't wait till she wants